This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is, yet again, the special guest star of the evening, of the Christmas special. This is a Christmas special. Oh. A doubleheader. And uh, we have Hans here. Hans, how are you doing? Hello, pretty good. So, are you uh, in the camp of people that think that Batman Returns is a Christmas movie? I don't want to get, engage in that discussion at all. That's very. I hate that. I hate that so much. I saw that. I was like, this is stupid. This is the same James thing as Rolf, the right? He, yeah, he put out a put out a video saying like the reasons why this is a Christmas movie, like that changes anything. I don't know. He's responsible for this discussion. I only saw it on Twitter. I didn't really see James Rolfe's video. I know that this is a, a topic of discussion on social media, similar to the whole Die Hard thing, which again right. is also very forced. And well, uh, that's that's how he presents it. I I, I watched like the first couple of minutes and. Uh, he talks about how if Die Hard is considered a Christmas movie, then Batman Returns should be because of this and this. And like he goes point by point comparing both of them, and it's just who cares? Sure, whatever. <laughs> what, what, what does it make a difference either way? Is that going to affect your viewing of the movie? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about Batman 1989 first, and then we'll get into Batman Returns, the uh, the sequel to that film. And you have uh, behind you. Young Jack Nicholson, right? From uh, yeah. the film. I used to think that was my uncle when I was a little small boy because I have an uncle who's a crackhead who I remember going to a party in the projects and people were like, oh, you look familiar. Who who are you? And I'm like, I don't know any of you people. And they're like, wait a minute. You look like you look like David. You're David's nephew. I was like, I am David's nephew. David was the crackhead who would sleep on the couch and eat everybody's food and steal shit. Is that his real name? Are you just doxing That's his real name. Yeah, I should have gave a fake name for my uncle. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, but he looks exactly like the guy behind you who plays young Jack Napier in Batman 89. Yeah. Is that so? That's who he's supposed to be, right? Yeah. He's No, he's supposed to be Joaquin Phoenix. That's It all connects. Uh, what is your history with this, this film? Because for me, this was, this, I mean, this was the first superhero, probably anything, that I watched. Right. I got it at, at, from my uncle, my crackhead uncle, who I was just talking about. He gifted it to me on VHS for Christmas around like 1993 or 1992. Um, I saw it when I was, what, around 12, 13. I saw it in a neighbor's house uh, that... Uh, hold on, wait, hold on, wait, 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 wait. What, what do you got? You got birds behind. You got birds fucking chirping behind yeah. you. What is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Are they in the house. same room as you? No, they're upstairs. Do you mind like shutting the door or something? Just because that's gonna that's gonna be coming in. That it seems like every single time you talk, I'm hearing a chirp. Uh, okay. Do you want to pause it? I no, well, I'll, it. I'll I'll just keep talking. I'll just keep talking. Okay. It's I mean, like, I'm just gonna way. have to move. I'm just gonna have to get in a room or something. So just yeah. keep talking. All right. Mute or, your mic. I'll, I'll I'll talk as I move. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's Batman '89. The history of this film is kind of interesting in that uh, I believe production was ushered in around 1983 and Tom Mankiewicz was the original screenwriter and that is the nephew of the subject character of David Fincher's in the movie Mank which just came out on Netflix what was it about a week or two ago as of the time of this recording and that film oh well that screenplay seemed much more comical much more cartoony more in line with the 1960s television series I would say it wasn't full camp like that but it felt 
much more in line with the 1970s comics, which sort of dance between we're going in a darker direction, we're also very over the top and light, but not quite as soft and uh, you know cheery and round faced as the 1960s comics and uh, 1950s version of Batman and Robin. You know, back in the 70s, you would see comic books where Batman would have to team up with some kung fu guy. And that's how Ra's al Ghul came about as a character. Or he would um, team up with, you know, some soul brother who, who also knows martial arts. And it was a lot of stuff like that. So this these comics sort of informed the tone of that original screenplay in 1983. And that led to discussions early on of potentially Bill Murray playing Batman in that initial film. Yeah, Hans's reaction to that seems very uh yeah, weird. So, I mean, I, I guess if you if you really think about uh what's his name? Birdman. Can't believe I just, uh, Keaton. If you think about his career before Batman, I guess you could see why they would think that would be a good choice. He's kind of yeah. like uh I mean, look, he's got curly hair. He was a stand-up comedian at the time. He's kind of like, if you can't get Bill Murray, but you want somebody who's Bill Murray-ish, maybe third down the line is Michael Keaton. I, I, I don't think it's that out there that they would have cast him eventually for 1989. And uh, the role of the Joker was, I mean, the Joker was the villain in the 1983 script by Mankiewicz. And uh, I know that... I mean, aside from the tonal differences of that, there was no Vicky Vale character. I believe it was like Silver St. Cloud, who's a 1970s uh, Batman comic book character. And they always had Jack Nicholson in mind. From probably the time that The Shining came out, I'm fairly certain he had a contract with Warner Brothers. Take a look at the vast majority of the films that he did in the 1980s. They were under the Warner Brothers label. Uh, he probably had some sort of agreement with them as of the time of that film coming out, and was always the number one pick. And, I mean, if you're if you're an actor in the 1980s, just in terms of personality, I don't think anybody encapsulates the Joker better than somebody like Jack Nicholson. I know that uh, Tim Burton, for a period of time, considered, and there was no way they were ever going to let him do this, he wanted Brad Renfro from... Uh, the Child's Play films and from One Flew Over yeah, yeah. the Cuckoo's Nest, who has a very striking Joker-esque look, especially with the 1980s version of that character. If you take a look at The Killing Joke by Alan Moore, that's a very Brad Brad Renfro-looking um, Joker. But uh, no, we had 55-year-old Jack Nicholson with his big round head and little body. Ah, honestly, that was one of my favorite parts. Yes. about the movie, his, his performance. Uh, now, let me just go back to what I was going to say before. I was really interrupted by birds. Um, first time I watched it was with, with a neighbor that uh, was one of the few people that was into comic books here in Costa Rica that I knew growing up. Uh, but he was mostly into Superman, so I didn't really respect him that much. Because <laughs> <laughs> I find Superman to be just really boring and just yeah. an, an, a nothing character. Uh, but... I remember just thinking it was cool and, and never really thinking that much besides that because I was really young. Like I didn't know what I was supposed to like. And it was the first comic book movie I ever saw, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I just remember thinking it was cool. Uh, never really gave it much of a second thought. I've never really been much of a Batman fan, to be honest. Uh, I'm more interested in the Robins 
which is kind of what? weird. What? Hold on, no, yeah. you don't like Batman? You're like, more into Robin? Yeah, uh, into the into the different types of Robins and what they where they've gone from when they start. Okay, I'm, I'm more I'm more interested in that than just I don't know. I just I just I, I find at least mainstream Batman to be very whatever. You know, I'm sure that in the comics books it's more interesting, but in, in movies I just don't find that character to be interesting. Really, have you read uh, any of the graphic novels? Hmm. Or any of the runs, Killing Joke and uh, the um, what is it? Dark Man Returns, Black Dark, Man Returns, Dark Man Returns. That's Sam Raimi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dark Knight Returns is Frank Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've read those two, uh, and just here and there, you know, nothing, nothing in particular. But I just, I don't know. I guess, I guess when you get down to to the character, is just a rich man with toys. Um, it, it's kind of what you would want to be when you're a young lad. Like that sounds very attractive, but I just don't think him as a character is interesting enough. I just don't don't really care about someone still mourning their parents' death thirty years later. I still think you know that kind of thing. It's uh, I don't know. So I've never been able to connect with that character as, that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, now that I rewatched it, uh, this movie, I really enjoyed it. There was a lot of things that I liked that you don't really see on on modern comic book movies anymore. because there was nothing like it when it came out but uh kind of wish they, they brought it back at least the, the fun aspect of it you know yeah uh, i know that uh in the first one in the first one he didn't really have that much freedom right tim burton uh yeah i mean they were thinking about doing this movie for quite a while probably at least 10 years they were talking about doing a batman movie and um he was brought in i think on the strength of both beetlejuice and Wee's big adventure like pr- prior to that, he was an animator over at Disney, and there's a short film for Frankenweenie that came out during that time, I believe, with Daniel Stern and um, what's her- Shelley Duvall. Right, and, that- and that's a fun little 25 minute, well done short film. And he was given the Batman property, which was kind of, I mean, look, it wasn't dead at the time in terms of a visual medium, though. The only thing that had come before. That was really of note was that 1960s Adam West series. There were 1940 serials where in one he's uh, fighting a man in Mickey Rooney face. He's fighting one of the Japs, Dr. Daka, I believe his name is. And then in another one, he's fighting somebody called the Wizard, just two made up villains. And the costumes are very flimsy. You have like the ears bending down and whatnot. Oh, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. The 1960s show runs for, I think, three seasons, and they wind up doing a movie at 20th Century Fox. That's an enormous success. But that show ends, and for maybe about 15 years at least, there's no real discussion of doing anything live action with that character. It it takes a long time for them to get this movie rolling. Do you think that that was before because uh, in those times you have more realism in movies? Yeah, say 70s, early 80s, where I guess in the 80s uh, with the slashers and all of that, uh, that it's not maybe not as serious anymore. But the tone of, of type of movies and things that people enjoyed in the 70s, let's say, they tend to be more real, real than something like a superhero, I guess. Do you think that's the reason why? Yes, absolutely. That, if you take a look at any of the bo- like the biggest films of the year blockbusters i remember doing this maybe about uh five or six months ago 
because I was just curious, what was the highest grossing film of each year? It looks extremely different to the past like 10, 15 years uh, where, you know, in the 1970s, I'll, I'll just read off some of the titles for you. You would never assume that these would be, you know, massive money making hits. Right. The number one movie of the 70s in terms of making making money was Love Story, which was a cheesy, I think, what was it? Ryan O'Neill was in that? Yeah, Ryan O'Neill, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, romance film. Airport was the second one. MASH was the third. Patton was fourth. Woodstock, fifth. And, um, you know, it, it's a bunch of films like that. You go down the line. 1980s comes in. You have Indiana Jones. You have more Star Wars films. You have right. the slasher films you're talking about. Franchises become a big thing. To that point, nobody was really interested in making sequels to films. You would just make a similar right. enough film to that, but do your own thing with it. Like with Airport the success of that film, they had like Towering Inferno, the Poseidon Adventure, those those types of films in the 1970s. And then um, they, they it, I mean, the idea of a sequel is not a new idea, but it's something that wasn't fully embraced until the early mid-80s, I would say. Uh, were they connected? Well, or like you just said, uh, because um, if you think about the slasher movies, uh, they're all connected by the character mostly, yeah. right? There's not really much story that goes from movie to movie uh so it's a it's a lot of about a lot like what they did with the batman ones if you want to think about it that way with the forever and the batman and robin where they change every character in every movie uh but the logo and the suit stay so that's how you connect them i guess the alfred and the commissioner gordon stay because they need the paycheck because they're not getting any other jobs yeah. Oh, is it is it the same the same mm -hmm. for the four movies? Those is are the, the only, only two two characters. Yeah. That okay, yeah. I, I I haven't I haven't seen Forever or, or Batman and Robin yet. Uh, it's a rewatch, the refresh. I haven't, but uh, yeah, that's I guess that's how you would do sequels before, not specifically following the same story or uh, picking up where the last one left off, but more of a you know this this kind of keep the same type of. I guess, I don't know, because the tone is completely different in those two, right? It, it's, yeah, it's extreme. I mean, Batman Forever Batman has Forever, a Batman little Robin, bit... Almost back to, to the 60s. Yes, absolutely. It, they they do take it right back to the Adam West uh, style of, you know, Batman. They He gets in touch with that. Batman Forever is a little bit different, but not that much different. Um, it has a, maybe like a touch of the, the like, Batman 89 flair to it. But it's absolutely more in the Batman and Robin camp than anything else. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you people were complaining. Well, we'll we'll talk about that later with with the whole Batman Returns controversy and and McDonald's and all that. But Batman '89, I think, maintains its level of cartoonish fun and dark fun very well. I think Batman Returns, in in some ways, uh becomes more of a Tim Burton movie than a Batman movie in terms of its stylization. And then when you yeah. get to Joel Schumacher, they lean too heavily into the commercial commercialization of the character yep. and of the property. And they're way too aware of its worth to the company. So uh, Batman... It's more of, a, more of a commercial than the other two, really. Absolutely. absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. Batman and Robin is, is the worst offender of that. But it's... 
It's got occasional memorable moments, and uh, it for a bad movie, it's an enjoyable watch. I'll say that. Well, I guess everyone has their own catchphrase to sell T-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> I, guess. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone has their little lines of uh, who. Well, I guess we're going to do a podcast on those too, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I do have a couple of questions for you that you're an expert in this uh, 89 movie. Yeah. Um, because, uh, well, what was the, the biggest difference between, or at least the power that Tim Burton had between one and the other? Because you can really tell, a yeah. big, if you're a fan of his work, uh, as soon as the second one starts, you can really tell that, oh, okay, so this is a Tim Burton movie. Like right away, the cheese that he adds to it, the dialogue, the way that the characters speak and interact with each other. I don't know. I'm sure he didn't write it, but it's very Tim Burton-y. Uh, and the characters that he added, like Max Shrek, uh, are very much of his style. And you don't really see that that much in the first one. So I'm wondering if uh, in the back of the success of the first one, they were just like, well, here, just have some money and go crazy with it. Because even the the um, the set design and, and uh, the way that the city looks in the second one is it's not com maybe not completely different than the first one, but... It feels like it's two different cities, really. Yeah, no, it, well, it is. It, it actually is, because the set designer of this movie, 1989, killed himself, Anton First. I think he actually, he might have won an Oscar for this film or for another film. And they had to bring in another guy, obviously, for, for the sequel. So you have a very different uh, looking movie in that regard. But... Think of it like this. Uh, I mean, this is not going to be the ideal example because James Gunn went from Guardians 1, which was very like his style and tone, to Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which was Disney product. Um, but it, it's essentially like that. Tim Burton's in that similar camp to James Gunn when he lands Guardians of the Galaxy, where maybe he has one or two smaller films that are interesting, kind of kind of strange, and perform better than expected then right. he gets the major property. And once that happens, he's got much more of the investor's trust in him to deliver a product that's going to be able to sell, even if it is uh, abnormal compared to the rest of the market, which is why they gave him more creative freedom with Batman Returns. And also, Batman Returns is probably the exact reason why Disney doesn't allow anybody any sort of creative <laughs> freedom with <laughs> any of their own movies. thing yeah. anymore. Yeah. yeah. I think it kind of uh, it 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 uh, dirtied the waters a little bit for any sort of director trying to make their version of one of these characters. Did it not make as much money as the first one? Do you know? No, I, the first movie, the first movie is one of the top gross. I mean, it, if you adjust for inflation, it's one of the top grossing movies ever, and it was one of the biggest movies of the 1980s. It might be, I I don't know. It could be number one, maybe. I don't know. I remember yeah, the no. fanfare for Batman 89 leading up was massive. Do you have any recollection of that? No, not at all. I mean, I was living here. so Right. Uh, and I was also three years old. I actually wasn't living here. I was living in Mexico and I was three years old. So no, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember Batman. But I'm looking at the numbers right now. Uh, the first one, I, I guess you do have to uh, adjust the numbers, right? Because it says that the Batman 89 made... 251 million and 82 million. Uh, hmm. 
but I'm wondering, well, the budget was 80 million in Batman Returns. And uh, 35 for 99. Yeah. Now, uh, where did they offer Tim Burton the third one, or did they not have any idea of making a third one? How did that, do you know how that worked? So, like the. From what I can remember, I think Warner Brothers wanted him out, but they, I don't know if they really did want him out. I think they wanted him on board, but they wanted to control him. I think they wanted his name and his style and the comfort that he would give Michael Keaton or whatever, you know, the other actors were, but I don't think they actually wanted him making the decisions he would have made. So he got, I think, offered it. He turned it down because he knew what he was in for. And the lack of Tim Burton made Michael Keaton bow out, even though they offered him a massive paycheck for it. And, uh, you know, if Michael Keaton doesn't get Birdman, that's probably a massive mistake on his part because then he's doing Herbie fully loaded only a couple of years later. He's doing multiplicity in the 90s. His career was... People, People don't remember... I mean, it, it, he's only been on the A-list again for a very short period of time. But yeah. for a good 15, 20 years, Michael Keaton was in the gutter. Michael Keaton was doing direct-to-DVD movies. It's Luke Who's Talking sequel, right? <laughs> that, type of, that type of stuff. That yeah. type of stuff, absolutely. So after well, Batman, a, he, I mean... What's, what are his most memorable movies, if you really have to think about it? If we exclude he, he, the new ones. He was very top... He was very Tom Hanksy, right? At the beginning. Yeah. Like Tom Hanks early career is very much like his career in the eighties. But what would be his, his bigger movie if not Batman? Beetlejuice, Night Shift. Oh, right, right. Um sure. Pacific Heights. I don't know. He didn't have too many. He didn't have that many. Uh Clean and Sober. He's very good in Clean and Sober, but that's not a hit. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, hosted I Saturday Night Live couple times twice i think morrissey was the the musical guest for one of (laughs) (laughs) i don't know his his career is uh, very strange yeah peculiar Um, Uh, well he was porco rosso's voice in that that anime about a pig that flies or something never seen mm -hmm. it you know studio ghibli or ghibli or ghibli i don't know i got hbo max maybe i'll delve into that now that i have the option yeah, his career did not go well after this. Um, for for a while. He he, you think he thought he was going to make it big after Batman? <laughs> uh, yeah, you have to think that, right? If you're turning down Batman 3 after the first two have been hits, you think you have that sort of sway to you. You you, you got that kind of weight. You're, you're going to last. You're going to stick in Hollywood. Wrong. Wrong. Christopher Reeve had a better post, post-superhero career than Michael Keaton did. In a chair. In a chair, yeah. (laughs) So Batman uh, Batman 3 could have been very interesting if Tim Burton stuck around, because I know we probably would have seen the same same villains we wound up getting with the Riddler and Two-Face, but you would have had Billy Dee Williams and you would have had probably Robin Williams. No relation. So that did not pan out, unfortunately. Billy Dee Williams. Yes, Billy, D, uh, I mean, he doesn't become Two Face until I don't know how that would. Lego Batman. He came in for Lego mm-hmm. Batman. That counts, right? True, right, right. Uh, I don't want to talk shit about him because I've done it before in in episodes before. 
Wait, no, that's not him. I'm thinking, wow, never mind. Billy D. Williams? He is Lando, right? He's yeah, Lando, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought I was being racist. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, because I've, I've talked about how I am not really impressed with him, with anything he's done. That was Fear so City. I, that I, episode is gone. That episode is lost to time because we didn't uh, figure out true. how to record it. So you can talk all the shit you want about Billy D. Williams. Okay, well, I think that he's a very beloved figure because of the characters that he's played, but he has no range, and he's overrated when it comes to his acting ability. Uh, and he's just smooth, and he's yeah. always just being smooth. I guess I just haven't... I, maybe it's just a, you know, an a undiscovered uh, movie by me that I haven't seen by him or a performance that might blow me away if I see it, but I still yet to see something that I'm like, oh, yeah, he was good. Uh, I just... whatever i can't imagine him as two-faced though that would be jarring because he's usually that smooth silky character right right he's always action jackson that's that's the problem he doesn't have like a sinister side to him he's got partial moodiness which we see in fear city a little bit but he doesn't like he, he doesn't have the it doesn't seem like he has the range to be evil in a movie right yeah yeah he's just this slick guy that is going to outsmart you somehow, but make it in a very smooth way and not lose his cool. Uh, then again, if you think about fucking Tommy Lee Jones's performance in that thing, oh, it's atrocious! It's embarrassing. It's, he clearly <laughs> so, did not know the character at all. He thought, oh, I guess the way to be a good villain is to laugh a lot and cackle and throw your head back and be Jack Nicholson. Yeah. 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 No. Mm. I know that when um, when what's his name Leto did his Joker uh, for whatever reason, a lot of people started comparing. Well, before did uh, they doing. Did He's well, got he another did. one coming out. He's gonna be back. He's the first two time Joker. How about that? Oh, is is he going to be the in the Justice thing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because um, like I remember every or, or every time a Joker movie comes out, they, people always compare to see which one's the best one. And uh, I had never really paid that much attention to Jack Nicholson's performance in this, and I liked it way more than I thought I would be. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I know his gifts, and I've seen clips, but just seeing uh, the performance from beginning to end and the tr- little transformation that the character has where, you know, at the beginning he shows up, with that uh, really awesome suit from, I don't remember what comic it is, but like the checkered pants and the top hat. Uh, and uh, and then what it, the character ends up becoming at the end, where yeah. um, you, you can tell the character is not, he, he can't fight. Like, it's not a strong character. It's not someone that's going to overpower you. And that's never who the Joker's been, even though uh, Jack Nichols is not really the skinny character or the skinny actor that you would think you would uh, cast for Joker who's always had very sharp uh, um, features, uh, at least when they draw it. But I, I like the psychology of the character, and I like how menacing he is while trying not to be or, or while trying to play the jokey side uh, and, and how quickly he can just switch from um, laughing, 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 and then the, the psycho bit comes in. Uh, one of the, the bits that sticks out is when he kills his, his first-in-command, where he... Yeah. Yeah, he, he gives him some I don't remember what it is. He gives him something and then he just Bob laughs. Bob Gunn. 
and yeah, then shoots right. him. Yeah. And, and then he just shoots him like nothing. It's just not, it doesn't matter. It just keeps going. Uh, and this is the one character that he had interacted with before that we, we, we think that he might care for him. But uh, I, I, I thought his performance was very, very good. And I it was my favorite part of the of the of the whole movie. And uh, I'm sure I'm not breaking any ground by saying this. <laughs> no, more- I'll tell you what. People said that when it came out. Everybody was on the same page. Jack Nicholson makes that movie great. And it's his movie. We hardly mm-hmm. see Michael Keaton's... I mean, we, we learned very little about that character in this first movie. Um, mm-hmm. Just enough to give you a sense of what his motivation is and why he's doing what he's doing. And I think that's probably the right move. And that was, that was a deliberate decision on, on the... On the, on the uh, 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 What's the word I'm looking for? That's just what Tim Burton and I think Sam Hamm, who wrote this script, uh, wanted to do with that character as opposed to making it all about him, which is obviously the direction the Christopher Nolan films went in right. and uh, bored a lot of people. Anyway, Jack Nicholson. I just, yeah, I just think he had a lot of really little moments with himself. Uh, yeah. That I don't know if there were there were Tim Burton decisions or if it was the actors' decisions. It's probably Jack where, Nicholson decisions. Yeah, it, where, where you can tell that this character is crazy just because of the way that he talks to himself or just the way that he reacts to things, the the things that they do when they think no one's watching, type of thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it was it was great. I I, uh, I if I had a ranking of Jokers <laughs> that I, I don't, but if I did. Uh, I, I I don't I don't know I think I, I like this a little bit better than the um what's his name dead guy, uh, Heath Ledger. Yeah 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 Caesar Romero. Yeah. Uh, that's what I should have said. Uh no I I think Jack Nicholson's performance as the Joker is probably the most comic book accurate in terms of the characterization. Uh, you know to what you were saying before where he's able to jump between these two different variations of his personality. And even if he doesn't have the shape of the Joker, even if they were maybe 15 years too late for that, he still right. embodies it and you don't really question it at all throughout the duration of the movie. Um, I do think he is, I, I, I would probably, I, I, he's probably my favorite Joker, of, but mm. a lot of that is, well, I grew up with this movie, so maybe right. I'm biased there. But, but, but I also think they did a really good job at not showing his... Like, we don't need to know who this character is. We don't need to know who he is before he turns into the Joker. He's just a crook. He's just a, you know, a gangster guy, and that's it. Uh, and that, the 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 not over-explaining something that doesn't need to be explained uh, works really well with him, really well with him, because it just makes him uh, unpredictable. And uh, you don't really know what you're supposed to expect from this guy, and... I think if uh, if we had shown him maybe better at be, being a good person or being, you know, uh, not this guy uh, before he became the Joker, uh, which a lot of movies tend to do just to try to make you care more for the character. Uh, I, I don't know if it would have worked as well as it did with this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that he was kind of a mystery, kind of a, who is this guy? Like we nobody knows who this guy that makes everyone laugh and, and, and turn their faces like his. Uh, added a lot to the character with without having to do much, I guess. Which is funny because at this point in, you know, comic book history or whatever, there was no real defined origin to the Joker, I don't believe, aside from the killing joke. 
which was still fresh at the time. That was 1987, right? Or 88. So th- that was only a year or two before this movie came out. And obviously that comic influenced this film and Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, probably influenced it as well. It did shift the whole paradigm of what comic books were, right. where this was looked at as cool being the dark, dark comic book as opposed to the pop art, flashy, fun mm-hmm. for the whole family, uh, chi- for children style of comic books. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they do strip down his origin some. It is more than what we get in other films and in other mediums right. uh, compared to, say, Heath Ledger's rendition in The Dark Knight or even Jared Leto. We don't have an explanation of Jared Leto's tattoos, of his damaged tattoo. Or his it's fucked up teeth. Oh, right. Yes. Gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> he got it done there. Uh, yeah. He's got AIDS. So what did you think of Robert Wall in this movie? Could Robert Wall have played the Joker? Who the fuck is Robert Wall? <laughs> he, it was uh, Alexander Knox. Let me see his face. Hold on. Let's find that cameo somebody got for, for Robert Wall. For, for, for me. In the Facebook what? group. Do you remember this? No. This was like earlier this year. Somebody got a cameo from Robert Wall for me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. His face, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the news guy. The, the new, reporter no, guy. Knox, yes. Yeah, no, he's not good. <laughs> no, he's, he's not. He's annoying. I wanted him to die in the movie. He's the worst. He sucks. I I think... I'm, And I'm glad that... They uh, have stayed away from. Well, I guess they didn't with Leto, but uh, it, it, I think he, he would have probably played it like Jim Carrey played the uh, Riddler. You know, very over the top, very too much. Uh, we understand he's crazy, but it's too much. It's uh, too much. And and uh, he was too much as that reporter. Like he was very annoying. He was I, I, every the time scenery. He, he was trying to steal it. He was trying to steal it away from Jack Nicholson. This is going to be Terrible. his show. I bet you no. he thought that too. When he every time he was on on screen, he was thinking, "This is going to be my movie. Everybody's going to remember me." Uh, no, apparently, he sticks out. <laughs> he sticks out a lot. He, he sticks out as, as, as you know when when you're in a group of people and there's obvious that obviously someone that really wants to have attention but has nothing to offer. Yeah. So it's just being loud, but he has nothing to say. That's uh-huh. that. That's how he feels every time he comes on screen. He's just like, "Can we just get rid of this fucking guy? He's adding nothing." That's that's pretty accurate. I I mean, the, he must have wooed the cast and crew because originally this character was supposed to die. He was supposed to get off during uh, the whole parade sequence. Right. And instead he winds up surviving and has like the little pin at the end of the movie. And he's one of uh, the few characters to return from this film for the uh, Flash CW TV show, connecting the Burton universe with the Flash CW TV show. Remember, he's reading the newspaper, and uh, that's great, right? I don't, I don't know why you say remember. Like I know, <laughs> remember? <laughs> like, you don't remember that? <laughs> that was Flashpoint. Yeah. No, you know, I, I, I'm gonna be honest. I did watch the first season of. It was no and look that and because I like Arrow. That was good. The Arrow first season of the Flash. Yeah, the first. The first. Oh, was it? I didn't think. <laughs> you I didn't, didn't think, think so? it was good. I stopped watching it. No, not really. No. I mean, it, it, it felt like one of those shows where you're just 
hoping it gets good so you just keep watching it but then every episode that goes by is just like ah is this the no let's just watch the next one and since there's so many because the cw puts out yeah. like seasons of 25 episodes yep uh yeah i i don't know it's not it's not my cup of to tea. me same with arrow arrow, arrow. started well good See that that that's where I'll disagree with you. I don't think Arrow started good at all. Arrow started like they were trying to do. Uh oh, I think we got a connection problem. Your your connection keeps freezing up. Um, I'll, I'll disagree with you here. I think Arrow tried too hard to be Batman Begins. That character was nothing like the Green Arrow from the comic books. He wasn't witty or sharp at all. He was just a male model. Flash that first season felt yeah. tonally like Sam Raimi's Spider Man. And then they got ridiculous with it, and I was I was out by season two. Yeah, I uh, and again, it just they, they they just end up becoming a CW show where it's very dramatic. Sorry, can you hear that bike? A little <laughs> it's bit. Just... <laughs> it's all right. We've okay. had so many it's... issues. Just... Okay, it's it's very dramatic on its own good for no reason. So it doesn't really do anything with the drama. It's just two people staring at each other for ten seconds for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I and something that really bothers me about those shows, I don't know if you know this, is that the scenes end with people leaving rooms. So you start a scene and there's someone coming into a room to talk to someone, and then as soon as they leave the room, the scene ends. And it's like over and over and over again. So the whole show is just people coming into rooms and leaving rooms, and that's it. Uh, and that shit really fucking bothered me. So no, I'm I'm not I'm not very familiar with Robert Robert Wall. Is that his name? Robert Robert Wall. Oh. Arliss. Yeah. You can just call him Arliss. That's, HBO's uh, hit show Arliss. That's head agent, right? Sports agent. That's what he was. Yeah, they just remade that show with The Rock for Showtime, right? What was it called? It was like Bookies or something. I don't know. It's Ballers. The, uh, Ballers. Yeah. Ballers is wow. derivative of Fuck, Arliss. I never, <laughs> never made that connection before. Now, wow, okay, yeah. I used to confuse Arliss with uh, what's the Shaloub show that where he's a detective? <laughs> Monk, Monk, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. I, just, I don't know. Wow. But I used to, you know, just interchange those two. Mm. Unbelievable. Now, um, one of the things I wanted to say is that uh, I'm a huge fan of the '60s Batman. That was the Batman that I knew growing up. Um, yeah. So uh, I, maybe that's why I didn't really care for this movie when I was younger, because it wasn't the Batman that I knew. It wasn't the you know pow Batman. It wasn't the Batman and Robin being goofy and with uh, shark repellent uh, and shit like that. So maybe that's one of the reasons why I never really cared for this movie when it came out. But uh, it's very, if you put it into context, it's very jarring uh, going from one to the other, completely different tone, completely different everything, really, even the, the performances and the characters, the, the um, close to the, to the skin suits with people that are not in shape type of thing yeah. that uh, can happen now. Like that would never happen in this day. Uh, but uh, again, like the first, I, I ended up, enjoying batman 89 more than i thought i don't know if i would rewatch it to be honest just because that's i'm a fucking autistic weirdo like that but uh just to to start moving into batman returns um i wasn't as big of a fan of, of that one well hold on hold um, on we still got a little bit more to talk about with 89 okay. first i want to i wanted to just 
get your opinion on what do you since you brought it up what do you think of the fact that michael keaton's batman just added abs to the suit abs that he clearly did not have just, just <laughs> good six-pack yeah. abs well, that, that suit, um, it looks cool, but it looks like the least practical suit that there is. I guess Correct. it's just with the cowl not moving, right? He can't... Soft, thick rubber. Back. It, it feels like an... It looks like an action figure. Like an action figure from the 80s where they had no articulation. Just, you know, you can move the arm up and down a little bit and that's it. Like it didn't feel like, like he could have a, a real fight with someone. Like not... A, oof, I can't... I don't think he could have a fight like a Batman versus Superman fight. Oh, you know, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, ben Affleck's in the uh, the warehouse. No, no, no. You're still you're still good. You were a little bit, little bit roboting, okay. but uh, it's all right. it's all right. I got most of what you said there. Uh, yeah, I I completely agree with you as far as that goes. I do think, all things considered, though, the choreography of the like the one real fight scene that Michael Keaton's Batman gets into in that alley with the Joker's goons is done. I mean, fairly well. And I don't know. Uh, th- this Batman doesn't really feel like the kind of character that needs to necessarily scrap like that. His whole thing is intimidation yeah. as opposed to actually getting getting his hands dirty. But he's he's scary in a monster kind of way. Yeah. You know, where if he shows up, you don't know who he is. He's just a giant bat. So I'm scared of him. Uh, he's not imposing in any way. I I don't know if he's if he's short, but for whatever reason, this man has always seemed like short to me. He is short. I yeah. guess it's just because of that. Okay, he's the five vision, ten. The vision or I have of Michael Keaton is just like okay, it's like a little guy, like not not an imposing Batman, but he lives with the fear of you know um, the the. There's been rumors of this Batman thing that comes out at night and catches bad guys, but we don't really know who he is or anything. So he just plays by that. But at no point he feels threatening or he feels like he could beat a bunch of people up like a like um, Christian Bale, who you know, good and in almost perfect shape to be that big bro, uh, brawling. Is that the right word? Brawling Batman? Bro, brawling whatever. Batman, huh? Big, big uh, Batman, just, just big, like beautiful a, Batman, yeah. Like, what's his name? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, BBW Batman. <laughs> uh, and uh, same with Ben Affleck. Ben yeah. Affleck is a thick Batman that you, like, if he punches you, like, you know you're in trouble. This one doesn't really feel menacing at all, besides, you know, the, the scary factor of this Batman, Bat monster thing. But it works just because of this world that, that he creates. Uh, he, he works at just appearing and punching a couple of people and then disappearing again. And uh, maybe that's, that's, uh, that's like you said, that Tim Burton decided that, you know, we're not going to focus on his story. So uh, he, he becomes more of like a secondary character than, than the Joker. Um, but it, it works really well. Uh, Jack Nicholson drives the movie and, and uh, yeah, I, I have no complaints about this really awkward um, choice for Batman, especially because of his. Did you not like fucking... Michael Keaton's Batman though? Did you did you think that he didn't perform that role as well as he could have, or somebody else might have? The the Batman or the Bruce Wayne? We'll say both. Okay, um, I honestly don't think that there's much you can do with the Bruce Wayne character, um, other than him being uh, a rich, smart guy um, that. Is very smart, um, so I I don't know. A well, lot of his, people complain about the performance. 
that, that they've you, had right. the he, other his characters had as Bruce Wayne. It's just his his characterization of Bruce Wayne is very different from Christian Bale or even Ben Affleck, where you have those two guys playing up to their own like beauty and their charisma and their charm and being like the sly guy at the party or whatever and trying to you know woo people that way. And Michael Keaton's Batman is very uh strange very like i spend a lot of time online and i don't know how to talk to people you know which is what i, I like <laughs> that i like that extremely online batman. yes extremely <laughs> online batman well, I, they, I like that approach they, to the character they even make fun of him at the party right or is that in returns when no you're right when vicky shows up it's just in the first one yep yep when i think it's vicky the one that shows up and it's like like, I'm trying to find Bruce Wayne. Where is he or whatever? And he plays it off as not him just because he doesn't seem like he would be this rich, successful guy, especially because of his hair. <laughs> it's just, it looks like it's just been just cutting they put off on top of his head. Yeah. It's just this really terrible hairline for Batman. But I don't know. I, I like how understated he is and how how odd he seems as a choice for, for Batman. And Again, I guess the, the reason why the, the reason that uh, he's not the, the the force driving it makes it work better than if they try to make the movie about him and use this odd casting choice, you know? Yeah, and also like let's say that Michael Keaton was acting like Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton's whole persona feels like a very very toned down Jack Nicholson anyway, where it's just Jack Nicholson without the strength of that charisma. So to have right. this this guy playing this character and strip that even down, I think is the right move because Jack Nicholson is just going to absorb everything with this film and make it his movie regardless. Even if it, you know his screen time was less than to fifteen minutes, that's just what's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I I think there are a lot of interesting creative choices made with this film with the costume design. With the set design, uh, not New York City, with Gotham City as a whole feeling like 1940s meshed with like dirty New York City 1980s. I think that's a great choice. Makes it very visually distinct, almost uh, cartoonish in some ways, but in a good way. And that is something that is definitely lost with the second film where it just feels like, all right, so this is 1992. Uh, they don't bother making that sort of decision to mesh two different eras and produce something that feels timeless. Right. Also, uh, one of the things that I really like uh, about this one is that it feels like its own movie and not trying to live off its sequels, yeah. which you really don't see nowadays. Uh, it feels like a movie that was written with a beginning, middle, and end, and that's it, and we have no plans for the future. We're not thinking about a franchise or a connected universe or anything. It's just, just let's tell this story about this character, and, and that's it. And you don't see that now because now well, look at what happened with the Mandalorian, right? It's the first Star Wars thing that people like in like the past what five years, where everyone like there's very few people that have that haven't liked it. And what do they do? Well, we'll announce ten more fucking shows just in case. Oh, you know, that's you brutal. The, oh, the slate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So now they have like ten or more Star Wars related shows that are coming out just because this one has done really good, uh, and. Uh, and, and that's the thing with this one, that it just feels like its own little movie. It's It doesn't know if, it, if it's going to get a sequel. It doesn't know if it wants to get a sequel. It's just, it's just this, and that's it. And even 
don't know that Batman Returns exists. Like, it doesn't change anything from it. Like, you don't really need to know any information in this one to move on to the next one. And now, you know, everything that comes out has already a, a plan laid off before they even know if the movie is going to be successful at all. You're right. You're right. What, what were they talking about? They were talking about the Fantastic Four trilogy when Josh Trank had that. And they announced... All, all sorts of different things like that. And a lot of it doesn't happen. The dark universe we, we've talked about before with the mummy that failed. Yeah. So I think if, during this time, a, a movie like Batman was more in the category of something like Lethal Weapon, where it's like, we could we could make sequels if this is successful, but all we really want is one good successful film that's going to make its money back and then some. Right. And... This did overperform. It was one of the biggest hits of the year. It was number two behind the Indiana Jones. Uh, by the way, Indiana Jones is coming back, too. Are you excited about this? Indiana Jones number five. Oh, is it? Yeah. Are they going to fucking wheel him out? What are they going to have him do? It's a wheelchair Indiana Jones. Do you think they're going to bring back Shia LaBeouf now that he's been accused? Uh, I don't know. I don't As know. As a gangster. He should play a gangster like that, like in that movie. Oh god. <laughs> the Dev Collector. Yeah. Well, uh anyway. It's yeah. just endless. It's just endless. It's just it's just yep. garbage. No. Yep. <laughs> let's just let's just fucking let's just burn it all down. Like I'm so sick of this fucking shit. It's just you can't have one good thing because now, hey, let's have twenty. Are they even gonna happen? We don't fucking know. Because we have to go move in my movie. And if one of them is not successful, we might just destroy everything like that universal monster thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't do we really need, like, who gets excited about this shit, you know? It's like, yeah, we, hey, let's announce 10 series that are coming to Disney Plus with Marvel characters. It's just, who, like. Here's the thing. I mean, I guess people excited about it. I'm just like, fuck it. Like, even, even the Hawkeye one. Hawkeye is my favorite characters in comic, character in comic books of all time. What do you like? And bow I think and arrow? Do you like archery? Green arrow yeah, and I Hawkeye? Do, I do, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, and, uh, and they're doing a series with him and the girl, like the girl Hawkeye. So it's just I'm not, nothing against the girl. I don't care. It's just like I just don't care anymore. Like It's gotten to the point where I'll tell you, I'll like, tell you what the solution much. to this is. The way to fix this is adjusting the public domain laws where I think Disney is responsible because they didn't want to lose Mickey Mouse or whatever at the time. Uh, Originally, it's supposed to be 70 years in the United States. Anyway, every country has different public domain laws. 70 years after the creator of whatever it is dies, that thing enters the public domain. If that was enforced... And if that was not manipulated to suit these corporations, then nobody, we wouldn't have this problem right now because anybody could pick up something and mess with it and that would immediately lower its value. And that's why they wouldn't be producing 40 of these for the next five years, you know? So if that happens, then uh, problem solved, but that will probably never happen in Disney's evil. But let, again, I don't, I don't want to get too caught up in how awful the future is going to be because we have a great <laughs> film here. We have a very great comic book film that we can unpack a lot of good things out of and then lead into the Christmas film sequel, uh, Batman Returns. Yeah. So, yeah, no, uh, to completely affirm what you're saying, obviously they did not have anything greater in mind beyond one film because they killed Jack Nicholson at the end of the movie. Joker dies. Yeah. And he's the cash cow, really. I mean, not not exclusively, clearly, because this, this franchise has gone on to produce a number of different movies. But there's something to 
that Joker character that no other character in comic books really has. And we've seen that uh, completely verified in 2019 with the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie being an enormous success and getting all this awards uh, uh, acclaim and um, the nominations. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bold choice to kill the Joker at the end of this film and also to have Batman kill him. Which is yeah. supposed to be a big no-no, well, he kills. right? He kills in this one, right? Hell Multiple yeah, times. he kills. Absolutely. It's just, it's just, we just don't see it, but it's just like, oh, here's a bomb. People explode, and it's just like, oh, I'm just going to keep walking. You know, like things yeah. like that where it's just, yeah, we're not, to, he's not supposed to kill, but well, he this, gets this, shit. This is a big misconception. This this is, I mean, this, this whole Batman doesn't kill, Batman <laughs> doesn't use guns phenomenon is something of like the 1960s or 70s. If you go back to the 1940s comics, Batman is killing people left and right. And I think he was you, carrying a gun. Are you, really just, are you really just saying go back to the 1940s? Hell to yeah. Yes. Batman. Yes. <laughs> You're doing your... the same thing that people that complain about him not killing do. It's just like that's, hey, that's all right. But I have a position on this. That's the thing. <laughs> is I think Batman should be killing more people. If he put down more of these bad guys, Gotham City would actually be cleaned up. Yeah, you wouldn't need the asylum. Ex- exactly. Get... Shut down the asylum. Didn't Ronald Reagan do that? That's why all the mentally ill people are out in the streets. That's why New York is ruined forever, is the, the Times Square population came from the mental asylums i don't know i thought you were gonna get crack and aids to people isn't that what he's he did he did he was a renaissance man he did it all yeah yeah <laughs> so uh you don't have arkham asylum in this movie because no. he's taking care of business they don't need it yet yeah yeah that's he's, something that he doesn't care that bugged he me he shoots them with his fucking with his fucking uh um, Batmobile, right? He does the bomb thing. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, the Batmobile yeah. kills more people than anything else in this movie. He's a terrorist. <laughs> Batman's a terrorist. So it, 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 I was just going to say this bugs me in the Batman vs Superman movie where Batman does pick up a gun, but he won't shoot the guy with the fucking flamethrower who's about to murder yeah. Superman's mom in the most despicable, violent way imaginable. He won't shoot the guy. He'll shoot his gas tank and blow him up. That's it. That's not committing to it. That's a half measure. In the you in the Dark what? Knight Returns, which they took that from, Batman just fucking blows the guy away. That's what they should have done. That reminds me of uh, you know Jewish people that on Saturday. Well, I know Jewish to, people. Hold on, hold on. on Saturday, I live in New York. Huh? Te- they, they're not supposed to touch technology or something. What? Uh, but yeah, I don't. There's some type. I don't know if it's Hasidic. Uh, they're not supposed to touch technology or buttons or things like that, right? On Sat- I think it's Saturdays or Sundays or something. So what they do okay. is they come up with ways to do these things without pushing buttons or without doing those things. Uh, so let's say that there's an elevator in my apartment building. So instead of me going and pushing the buttons, I just get someone else to do it. So I'm still using the thing, but it's not me the one doing it. Right. Uh, it sounds kind of like that. I don't know why you're <laughs> Jewish people with this. aren't allowed Is to use buttons on Saturday. This is yeah. this is news yeah. to me. I haven't heard this before. Yeah, Maybe I need to read the Torah. I don't know. That's right. Come get your Jewish uh, information from me, (laughs) 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 who's never met a Hasidic person, but I know this. (laughs) I know. I don't know if it was Jews, actually, now that I think about it. But I saw it in that uh, Bill Maher documentary, that ridiculous documentary. And it's kind of like a cheat of like, 
oh, God is not allowing you to do this, so I'm just going to try to outsmart God and do it this way. Outsmart That's God. what it sounds like, what you, what you just said about the, the uh, guns, because it's like, I'm not going to directly shoot you, but I'm just going to make this thing explode right next to you, so you all also died, but right. it wasn't me. That's oh. The most egregious version of this is Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, where it's him and Ra's al Ghul, Liam Neeson, fighting on the train, and he says outright, he says, I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you. And then he just yeah. lets him die a burning, flaming death. <laughs> <crashing. laughs> yeah. yeah, he's just like, well, he's dead now. Well, who cares? Yeah. Let's get back to Batman killing. Batman. Just bring that back. Who else does Batman kill in this movie? He kills a bunch of the Joker's thugs. He kills the Joker. Um, That might be it. He does. I think he kills more in Batman Returns. I think Returns. it's just thugs, right? Yeah. Huh. In Batman Returns, he kills some yeah. circus people with a yes. with a legit bomb. He kills them with a bomb. Yeah. One guy. It's pretty. pretty yeah, and he kills the he kills the penguin, right? Uh, no, penguin kills himself. No, penguin. no that's true. Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of another complicated situation, like similar to this Joker thing, where he doesn't technically he doesn't outright do it. He just attaches the gargoyle to the Joker. He sends his bats right. off. To the penguin, and the penguin just panics and then dies by accident. So it falls on the thing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what I mean, what what would you say is a, a highlight of this Batman '89 movie, and also what was something with it that you weren't impressed by that we haven't already gone over? Um, the one of my favorite moments from the movie was the boxing glove on the TV bit where he's watching mm. the news and he gets really upset about it and he just smashes uh, it with a boxing glove gun that I wasn't expecting. Uh, that, one of the things that surprised me about this movie was those little Joker moments. I, uh, Again, I haven't seen this movie in so long, but those little moments of it's just himself doing things for himself like that, like that completely unnecessary, but I'm just going to destroy it to you because I'm upset in a very ridiculous he's way. He's an artist. Like he likens himself yeah, so, an artist in this movie, which is a very interesting choice. Um, that and again, the, the performance is really good, but just those little tiny moments of craziness that he shows in this that surprised me a lot and made me like it more than I thought it would. Um, I have a couple of things written down. Uh, he's dancing was great. Yeah, you're very impressed by his way, moves. But yeah. just his, just his dancing, like how, I don't know. I, I, I just well, I, let's let's I talk really real quick about the, the museum you know, scene like, where he's supposed to meet with Vicky Vale, and he just decides to kill everybody and turn that into a dance party where he's destroying all these uh, works of fine art to Party Man by Prince, which was not Tim Burton's choice. Again, Tim Burton did not have full creative control of this movie. They said Prince wants to do the soundtrack. You have to allow Prince to do the soundtrack. And he had Danny Elfman, and mm -hmm. he was luckily able to finagle that into, I'll throw in two Prince songs. How about that? And Prince does like five or six. He releases his own EP of them. Bat Dance doesn't make the cut. I think it's in the credits or something. You don't like those Prince songs? I, I don't think they're bad. I don't think... I like I Prince. think they... I think they work really well in this context. Though. I think it adds to the iconography of the film. I think it gives it a more distinct flavor and makes it feel so perfect for 1989. It's also not the music that you're expecting him to like. No, you don't see. You don't look at the Joker and say, "Hey, he enjoys Prince music." 
you know? <laughs> yeah. So that that's another, you know, it adds a layer of the craziness to the character. It's something unexpected. Yeah. Uh, Which is something they yeah. veer away from in future films. They try to avoid using contemporary music in uh, Batman Returns. Batman Forever goes softer on that because I think Seal comes up Yes. the end credits for Kiss from a Rose, which I think it was written for for Batman Forever. Uh, and then Batman and Robin Ooh, is... Fucking song, yeah. Batman and Robin, I think, is entirely uh, orchestra, but they have like Smashing Pumpkins on the soundtrack as they're running to the camera. It's just like... Oh, yeah, at yeah. the end? Yeah, at the, the end. end. I think it's was it Tarantula or 1989. I don't know. One of those songs. Not 1989. It's, it's a very, it's a very, very emo ending. Yes, <laughs> it's very sad Batman. Yeah. So uh, I, I think 1989 Batman is a tremendous creative success, and it does spawn everything that we're complaining about today inadvertently. But the first thing, it, it holds up really well, surprisingly too. Uh, just because it's yeah. it's such a in a world than the real world, I guess, where you don't really expect normal things to happen or normal things to be there. Uh, so it, it holds up surprisingly well, more than I would say forever. <laughs> that that one I started watching and I, I, I quit within like half an hour. It's, uh, I'm going to have rough. to watch it, but it, I, it's so rough. It is rough. I bought, I bought these two movies and I bought Forever in 4K. And I was thinking, okay, well... And here's the thing with the the Burton Batman films is as I've watched them in different mediums, I've taken away new things from from that experience because ev everything is so creative. There are layers of creativity to, uh, as we talked about before, like the set, the costumes, the acting, the performance, like, all this stuff is chock full of um, somebody's singular vision for the most part. And... Forever doesn't really have that. So when I watched these two movies on 4K Blu-ray, I was really taken aback by how detailed everything was just because of the 4K. You're able to make out the, the matte paintings in the background a little bit better and just like the enormous amount of effort that went into these two films. And Forever lacks that. Um, yeah. And the cheesiness of it is not really enjoyable cheesiness by my standard, <sighs> which made me... every. Shut it off after a little bit. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'll, I'll save it. But we'll save it for the episode. every time. Every time Volker Kilmer was on screen, I wanted to shut it off. He was the worst. I don't Batman. know if it's that. Yeah, I don't know if it's that. I just, I just don't like him, or at least that version of Val Kilmer I don't like. But every time he's on screen, that's not Batman. I'm just like, uh, I kind of. He's void of charisma. Shirt. He's a very bland yeah. actor in that movie. And I just wanted to clarify also. At the beginning of the show, I said Tim Burton wanted to cast Brad Renfro. No, Brad Renfro was that junkie who killed himself uh, in the in the mid aughts, who was a kid or something. Yeah, I think he was in Kids and or Gummo or or uh, Bully. Excuse me. Uh, no, I meant Brad Dorif. All oh, right, Brad Dorif. That's who the I, one flew over the coop. That's what I thought you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought you meant. I don't know why I attacked him so aggressively and said he was a junkie who killed himself. He did that in real life. He actually died that way. I, I was thinking of his character in Bully. Um, I, I, I have nothing against Brad Renfro, but Brad Dorff was the the selection that Tim Burton really wanted, and that, that could have been interesting in a different way. Um, couldn't carry a film like that. 
Yeah, I really, I really doubt it because he's really good in Cuckoo's Nest. That's the first one that comes to mind. Uh, but I don't know. Again, it's such a weird character, the Joker, where you could do uh, um, something very toned down, like Joaquin Phoenix did, or you can do what Jared Leto did. I'm sure there's people that prefer one or the other, but uh, it would be interesting to see someone like that that's more of a character actor than someone like Jack Nicholson, you know, uh, to to play that character. So that would have yeah, been interesting. 